Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It's my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Richard Cahan. He is a journalist who writes about photography, art, and history. He worked for the Chicago Sun-Times from 1983 to 1999, primarily serving as the paper's picture editor. He left to found and direct City 2000, a project that documented Chicago in the year 2000. And since then, he has authored and co-authored more than a dozen books, including the one we are going to talk about this week, together with Michael Williams. He has just published Un-American, The Incarceration of Japanese Americans During World War II. Uh, Richard Cahan, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. I appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks for coming on. This is a, a wonderful book, uh, primarily a collection of, of photographs. Uh, how did this come about? Well, um, it came about because of my interest in the incarceration of Japanese Americans. Uh, like most people, I didn't hear much about it in, in high school or college. Somehow we talked about Yalta and we talked about Normandy and and um, uh, Pearl Harbor, but the subject of uh, the incarcerated Japanese Americans really never came up, and I've always been interested in it. Last year I was at the National Archives in College Park, Maryland, where it's kind of, I'm sure people know it's the government's repository of photographs and textual material. Um, and I was in the what's called the still picture branch, and I was looking at uh, photographs that the government had taken. Government had hired photographers to take pictures of the incarceration, and that get, got me very interested. And, and that's what this book is made up of, is, is photographs that the government hired photographers to take of its own, of its own action against Japanese Americans. Is that right? Exactly right, yes. What, why, why do that? You know, um, that's a um, that's that's a great question. Um, at the time, it was fashionable for the government to hire photographers to document and I assume promote their work. Um, there was uh, your listeners probably know about the Farm Security Administration photos of the 1930s, uh, where the government was building homes for people who were migrating from places like Ar- uh, Arkansas and the Midwest to California. Um, they did this for many years, and then in 1940, early 1942, Dorothea Lange, very famous documentary photographer who worked for the Farm Security Administration, apparently talked to the new director of the War Relocation Authority, an, an agency was an alphabet agency that was set up during the war to oversee the the incarceration, and and apparently convinced him that that it was worth documenting. Um, by doing that, the government had photos they could use. And the government also had an excuse to keep other photographers out. Uh, you know, if, if if a newspaper called and said they wanted to send a photographer to see the conditions of a certain camp, that the government could say, well, we've already got photographs and we're happy to send them to you. Uh, that's a very good point. Uh, but these photographs are by some uh, very well-known and uh, very talented photographers. Who are, who are the photographers involved well, here? Well, the main photographer in the book is Dorothea Lange, and, and people know her, I'm sure, from her pictures of the, her famous picture of the migrant mother that was taken in California of the, the, the mother surrounded by her, her destitute children in a, in a uh, kind of a camp, a shanty in, in California. Um, and 
I don't think that they had any sense of who they hired when they hired Dorothea Lange. She was feisty, and she had a conscience, and she had this remarkable ability, like the migrant mother photo, to get up really close to people and show their faces and their fears and their pride and their, um, you know, what what they were thinking. So, so they kind of got more than they bargained for with her. Um, the other photographers, there was a photojournalist from San Francisco by the name of Clem Albers. They hired him for a couple of months, and another photographer by the name of Francis Stewart. Um, and all three of them were kind of a little too radical for them, and then they they kind of settled on more um, uh, traditional kind of government photographers, a man by the name of Tom Parker and a man by the name of Charles Mace were the main photographers. Uh, and then another uh, very well-known name that shows up on the cover of the book is Ansel Adams. Exactly. And Ansel Adams wasn't really a government photographer, but we put him in the book because he was given, he was authorized to photograph at one camp, Manzanar, in central California. And um, he then donated his photographs to the Library of Congress. So in a sense, these pictures are similar to the government pictures in, in that they're open to the public. Uh, anyone could see them, anyone could study them, and anyone could use them. And we thought his pictures were important. They, they contrasted Dorothea Lange's pictures. She showed fear and um, she showed the first days of the incarceration when people were actually being picked up uh, and taken away. And he arrived at camp about a year later and really showed the the pride and the, the dignity that, that Japanese Americans had, had kind of carved out uh, a year later. The, the book does tell quite a story in that the photographs go from before the, the, the forced removal and incarceration uh, to after. And in the, in the before pictures, uh, I was a little bit surprised, I admit, to see not just pictures of Japanese with farms, but Japanese with apparently Beverly Hills mansions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. this cut across class lines. This, this was an action against uh, people of some wealth and one would assume uh, power. Exactly. No, I agree with you. I think those uh, there's there's several pictures at the start of the book of uh, very nice homes in Los Angeles, and I think they're surprising. They 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 run against the stereotype of the the working farming Japanese Americans that were you know you know exiled to the field. Um, I think that that's one of the values of the book. Uh, they look so. Can I can I ask you? They look so American, don't they? You know, I, and, and that's because they really were American. Uh, we we were very I careful. I, I, I don't have the slightest idea what that means, actually. Oh, you I'm know, sorry. I mean that they look traditionally uh, middle class. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, in, in, yeah. In fact, throughout the book, they they they, they look uh, middle class, and uh, you know, suit and tie and hat, and you know, the way people used to dress, right. and leather leather uh, uh, leather belts, and yeah, and how, uh, jeans. Uh, yeah, I think that that's important for people to realize that. Not that it matters, but that of the hundred and ten. Not that it matters how they feel, but of the hundred and ten thousand Japanese Americans who were forcibly removed. Um, over 60,000 of them, close to 70,000, were, were U.S. citizens. They were born in America. Um, they had no, you know, specific allegiance to Japan. And um, um, and that's important for people to realize that that these were, these were people, you know, like you and I. And that's one of the reasons why we use the word incarceration instead of the more traditional internment, because you can't incarcerate, in legal terms, uh, citizens. And so but, uh, you can't intern, I'm sorry, uh, U.S. citizens. So this the whole idea that this was an internment is really a lie. 
and it's a use of language uh, to, to cover up that lie. This, this truly was an imprisonment and a um, in an incarceration. Yeah, though in today's degraded standards, when the talk is of capturing rather than arresting or interning or incarcerating, uh, you know, people who are treated as animals, and we've gone, grown used to the photos we see out of Guantanamo and Abu Ghraib, you know, th- there's nothing like that in this book. There's no torturing people to death. There's no uh, degrading of people with uh, nude photos and uh, electric shock equipment. Uh, there's, you know, th- th- those people, I think, are humans like you and I as well, even if they don't look like it in those in those more recent photos. But in this book, uh, it seems to me uh, easier to, to recognize these people, uh, but, to, but also to ask, what was the harm? This looks okay. Uh, this, this doesn't look cruel by today's standards. Well, imagine for a moment, and the government made a big uh, effort to show, to show and to claim that this was very humane, but, but imagine for a moment if, if you were told that in nine days or in a week you would be picked up and you would be taken away maybe for a week or a month or a year or forever to a place that you had no idea where you were going to be taken away at and you had a week to basically settle your affairs, sell your house, sell your possessions, sell your tractors, sell your farms. Uh, you know, so this was, this was not in any way an easy experience for this. This was traumatic. It still affects these people who are very much, you know, many of them who are very much alive today. Yeah, we're speaking with Richard Cahan, who's a co-author of Un-American, The Incarceration of Japanese Americans During World War II. Uh, I, I think the, the photos are helped as well by the, the text that you and Michael Williams added, including a, a, explaining what's happening. There's a photograph of a, of a Japanese man showing a tractor to a couple right. of, uh, I guess you would call them white Americans. Uh, right. t- talk about what's, what's happening there. Right. Uh, well, in this photograph, this was the photograph that was actually taken by Russell Lee, who was a very famous government photographer, not, not associated with the War Relocation Authority, but somebody who worked for the government, um, uh, in, in, actually the Farm Security Administration, he took this photograph. Uh, and what's happening is this uh, man in rural um, California is selling his tractor uh, days before he's about to be picked up. Um, and and another man, we quoted another man who is not in the picture, but his name is Yasuko Ito. He said, it is difficult to describe the feeling of despair and humiliation experienced by all of us as we watch the Caucasians coming to look over our possessions and offering such nominal amounts. So, so they were being paid very little uh, on the dollar for what they had. And uh, it yeah. was, uh, you mentioned that it wasn't degrading, uh, but, you know, there certainly is an element of degrading in this and humiliation. Yeah, yeah, and we and we now know if it wasn't known then that the the actual motivations behind this program included the 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 greed of of the white farmers uh, wanting those wanting that farmland, isn't it that right? Did. Um, Japanese Americans had a very uh, rough relationship with who they called Caucasians in, in California. Um, there were laws that prevented them from becoming prevented those who came from Japan from becoming citizens. It couldn't prevent the, their, their offspring who were born in America from that. Uh, laws that prevented them from owning land. So oftentimes their relatives or their children had to own land. Uh, the, we, we, we saw a lot of race prejudice as we read through this book. Very few people wrote letters to the editors. Very few organizations stood up for these people. 
And obviously all this was tinged by, you know, war hysteria. Um, we tend to make very irrational decisions, we as Americans or as human beings, uh, when we're worried about things, when, when security is our, our main worry. And it, um, in a way, this book looks at what happens when fear eclipses civil liberty. And finally, and in the 1980s, when, when the government studied what happened here, they concluded that it was race prejudice, war hysteria, and the failure of political leadership. To, that those are the three main causes of the incarceration. Yeah, it's interesting that the that the U.S. government, the U.S. Congress, uh, you know, did did a study and concluded that it was that it was racism uh, with a pretense uh, of being something otherwise, of of yeah. being defensive against a, a, an actual danger that there was any actual uh, evidence needed to be feared. Right. We we had this unique opportunity. We found a couple of dozen people who were subjects of these photographs. Most of them had no idea that they were even taken. This happened 75 years ago, but they're still alive, and so they helped us put the photos in context. But what we also did is we looked at local newspapers, very local newspapers, uh, around the dates that these people were were picked up and taken away. And um, we found many editorials where newspapers looked forward to the day that the, quote, Japanese problem would be over. And finally, you know, we, quote, would get our land back, and, 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 and they would be taken away forever. Um, it was shocking that this happened. You know, remember, this isn't ancient history. This is, these are contemporary times. Most of these people are still alive who were about. So, yeah, it was chilling. And Pearl Harbor, of course, uh, served as part of the motivation for that and has served as one of the primary motivations for war after war after war after war for 75 years. Uh, And, you know, I know there were, there's talk now of Muslim registries. There were lists of Japanese Americans and and other uh, American immigrants uh, for decades leading up to this and decisions made by Franklin Roosevelt uh, after Pearl Harbor. But... um, um, what I've read, and I don't think you mentioned this in the book, uh, on November 26, 1941, th- that is a week before Pearl Harbor, Franklin Roosevelt secretly ordered uh, someone named Henry Field to create a list of Japanese Americans. Are you, are you familiar with that? I am familiar with that. Uh, the machinery had started before uh, you know, Pearl Harbor, as you mentioned, I think, on your blog. Within, within 48 hours, there were already 1,200 Japanese Americans picked up, and so they knew exactly who they were going with for. And, and like most lists that are compiled by places like the FBI or government agencies, it was, it was a ridiculous list. Uh, it included basically all religious, you know, all Buddhist uh, figures. Uh, it included Chamber of Commerce leaders. It included people who subscribed to Japanese magazines or who, you know, who were members of Japanese organizations. Uh, so it was a very, very inaccurate list. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that those kind of lists are being made right now. Uh, I... Well, we know that President Obama uh, today, as we as we speak, uh, canceled one Muslim registry. Uh, there's there's another extant, and there's a president elect uh, threatening to create a new one. Right. Um, it, what? <laughs> how have people failed uh, to learn this lesson? I, I mean, didn't didn't the U.S. government actually apologize and pay reparations for this and consider it now to have been a crime? They did in 1988. Uh, President Reagan formally apologized, and everybody, who, all the survivors, were given twenty thousand dollar reparation checks, tax free. 
but um, this is a story that people don't want to remember. Um, I actually spent this weekend, I was in Arizona. There were two internment camps uh, located there. And trying to find the remains of these camps, um, well, it, it didn't prove impossible. I did find them. But, you know, you think that everything is findable on, on the Internet, but that failed me. And it literally took me luck. I was lucky to find people in the neighbor, uh, people in the area who could go back and show me the few foundations that remains of these camps. Um, the National Park Service does designate some of these camps as important uh, historic uh, treasures, monuments, but um, but most of them have been forgotten. Uh, you know, foundations, weeds, uh, uh, ancient ruins. There's no great hue and cry to keep these alive so that it they serve as a reminder for people in the future. Yeah, 10 of them were made historical landmarks by Congress in 2001. Uh, doesn't mean they're being celebrated locally where they are, or not celebrated, but memorialized. Uh, right. But, it's, but, it's a, um, you know, I, I'm sure someone from the National Park Service would disagree with me, but I, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a minor uh, effort, in my opinion, to, you know, save the memory of these kids. What, what, what should they do? Well, um, I think they should be, uh, there should be signs at the minimum that you are now, you know, passing this site. Uh, uh, you know, there, there's been attempts and, and good attempts to recreate some of the barracks, you know, at least one barrack in, in some of the camps, but most of the camps are pretty forgotten by now. Um, and and I, think, uh, I think this is an important part of American history that we find very easy to there, there, there is a sort of a kind of a mixed message uh, memorial in marble in Washington, D.C., uh, a little bit out of the way uh, near the Teamsters office on the way over to the train station that, uh, that seems to celebrate on the one hand that Japanese Americans uh, patriotically and murderously participated in World War II on the U.S. side, uh, but also uh, recognizes the crime of this mass incarceration. And there's a, there's a quote from uh, Daniel Inouye, the U.S. senator, that, that says, the lessons learned must remain as a grave reminder of what we must not allow to happen again to any group, end quote. What, what do you make of that, that effort of memorialization? You know, I don't know about the Washington, D.C. Uh, monument, but I do know that one thing that I learned in this book, and it seems so obvious, one of the takeaways, was that we have problems in America even figuring out who exactly our enemies enemy is. Our, our enemy is, for instance, in World War II, were not Japanese Americans or German Americans or Italian Americans. Our enemy was the government of Japan and Germany and Italy. And sometimes we we transfer the fact that someone is, um, you know, from Japan to the fact that all of a sudden he's an enemy. These people consider themselves Americans. They, um, you know, they worked hard to be American, fit into society, and somehow we. You know, we, we can't even separate. Uh, it, it doesn't seem that hard of a uh, uh, that hard to figure out that that if we are going to determine that we have enemies, and I'm I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that America doesn't have enemies, we should be very clear on on who the enemies are. Well, I am that naive. I think we should stop uh, imagining enemies in the world. But but no, if you, I, were... I, I actually too, I, I am too, David. But <laughs> most people aren't. 
well, most people uh, are a problem uh, and are are endangering our species' uh, future. But 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 to take uh, to to play devil's advocate, you know, for those who want to uh, find enemies and protect themselves at all costs, even if it kills them, uh, you know, there was there was one Japanese American on Hawaii who assisted a Japanese pilot who landed on a small island after uh, uh, after attacking Pearl Harbor. And uh, there are Muslim Americans uh, today who claim that their acts of, of violence are, uh, are are motivated as as blowback against U.S. wars and occupations in in Muslim countries abroad. I mean, there there is some there is always some grain of truth to to hang that on, isn't there? There is, uh, but but do you do you incarcerate one hundred and ten thousand people because of the worry of one or two or a few? Uh, and do you do you you know separate people and take away their civil liberties? I mean, we we have a constitution that guarantees that people can't be detained and incarcerated unless there is true evidence to, to justify it. That didn't happen here, so yeah, uh, you know, I think we've got to be very careful in um, in figuring out what America is really all about. Do, it, it is a uh, it is an amazing experiment, and um, and it's a scary experiment. But it's but I think most people think it's a worthwhile experiment. Well, I, I think this this book is a, is a worthwhile contribution to showing people uh, what this looked like to to quote unquote humanizing it, uh, giving the people uh, involved faces. I, uh, I I find the the photo on the cover to be powerful in that it's, it shows Japanese Americans looking out of of train windows. Um, right. Was there was there an in, in, intentional connection to all of the trains in Europe taking uh, taking the Jews to camps? Oh, absolutely. I think that it, it, it's exactly why we, we chose this picture. And um, and it's interesting that we, uh, this was in Woodland, California, and I got I had a chance to visit the train station that's still there. Um, and it's so interesting to understand what happened that day. And we had a chance to look at the Woodland Democrat. And, you know, it, it wrote about how, how people stood waiting for the train, uh, listening to jazz uh, a radio station, listening to jazz on a radio station, and one family arrived about a half hour late. There was, they, they offered no explanation, and then the train took off. And there's pictures in the book of both uh, people on the train crying, and um, um, this, you know, this, these, I think what makes this book particularly valuable is that it gives us a visual history. And for many people, they can read there's great novels, there's great books on, on the incarceration, but when you actually see the pictures, it helps you go back to that moment in that scene and connect with the people. And I know as I wrote the book, I kept on asking myself, what would I have done? How would I have stood up? Or would I have stood up? And I think that's what people get as they look at this book. They question. Yeah, and will they stand up now? Um, right, the- there, uh, there, there were camps uh, the, in the United States for Native Americans that actually were an inspiration to the Nazis, uh, and the the treatment of the Native people of of California was, of course, horrific. Uh, the, in in this case, these are people uh, being put on trains, uh, but not not sent to ovens, right? Not right, sent, right. No, not sent were, to be killed. These were concentration camps. They were concentrating this group of people, 
these were not death camps. And, and really, we, we, we usually refer to the concentration camps as the Nazi concentration camps. They, they should really be called death camps. They should be death concentration camps. Yeah. And, and here we are. We, we have uh, a few minutes left. I, I wonder about the, the current situation, uh, ill-informed uh, of, this, of this recent history, uh, in that we've created a, a camp on Guantanamo, Cuba, right. that, uh, that does, uh, well, uh, apart from CIA murders and tortures to death there, uh, that does lock people up without any any process, any charge or conviction, uh, and uh, a president-elect coming in uh, promising to uh, to put more people there, right. um, and yet and yet you see resistance to the idea of uh, creating a Muslim registry, uh, even on the part of Silicon Valley high tech companies. Um, the, the idea that if you're, you know, you're going to do it in that way uh, on the basis of race or religion, it, it's unacceptable. Um, right. have we, have we progressed or regressed? Where are we? Well, I don't know. Uh, I think it could be argued, fairly argued that Guantanamo is different because, uh, what I think makes this book so important is that there were 60,000 U.S. citizens here. I'm, I'm saddened by the, quote, Japanese nationals who weren't citizens who were taken away. Unfortunately, being a national, an enemy alien or an alien enemy uh, during a time of war gives you very few rights. And, um, and you know, if you, if you just happen to be in a country when war breaks out, wherever you are in the world, you have very few rights. So, so I think that the real look, uh, the real tragedy here is that it happened to, to two American citizens. And, um, and, you know, the Constitution was just simply thrown out. There's talk now, uh, there's, there was a Trump supporter talking on um, uh, Fox News about how the Muslim registry has a precedent, and that precedent is the internment of Japanese Americans. And most right. people in the know shook their head, and they said, precedent? Well, I, I would argue from, from looking at the book that there is a precedent there, and, and, and but it's a bad precedent. And all someone has to do is look at this book or, or read, read these accounts to understand that this was a road that the United States took that was not a good place, a, a good road to follow. Or, or the first President Bush apologizing on Pearl Harbor Day, or the the United States government paying reparations. Uh, but you know, there are some constitutional scholars who point out that you can't actually find in the Constitution that its rights are limited to U.S. citizens. Uh, and of course, some ethicists who would argue that uh, abuse of human beings is equivalent regardless of whether or not they are U.S. citizens. And, right. and, and there were Japanese uh, put in these camps who had been in this country for decades, right? They weren't permitted to become citizens. Exactly. So only by being born here could they become citizens. Right. There were so, specific laws enacted to make sure that they could never become U.S. citizens. Right. So th this, was, uh, this was a massive crime that uh, that is largely forgotten despite the government having gone to this this beautiful effort that you've now brought to us to to document its own criminal activity right no i agree i agree um, these are important these are important lessons that people need to to learn do you, do you think uh, do you think a similar? I, I don't know what you you're working on next. You probably have some other other books in the works. But do you think uh, uh, a collection of photographs of Muslim Americans uh, would do any good at this point? I think it would do a lot of good. I think it's important for people to look into people's faces and see that they 
that we all have the same blood, that we all have the same desires and smile, frowns and worries. And yes, so uh, so Ansel Adams has been criticized that he made these Japanese Americans look too human at the time. He was criticized for that, and, and that's I don't agree. I think it's really important that we look into their eyes. I think when people open this book and they see those first portraits that he took, they say, "Oh my gosh." I, I, I very much hope so. I recommend it to everybody. Uh, get it uh, for, a, for a holiday present or otherwise. On American, The Incarceration of Japanese Americans During World War II by Richard Kahn and Michael Williams. Richard Kahn, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a non-profit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.